Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. It's that time again, isn't it? It is that time. Wait, what time is it? It's time to do a thing about... Oh, a podcast. Yes, podcast. And and you actually have an idea for this week's episode, so I'm going to let you start. Uh, We're going to ratchet up the complication on this episode. So in the last episode, we talked about ProRAW and RAW files. And uh, if you haven't checked out that episode, it's a great one to start the year with. And also just as a little bit of a foundation for what we're going to talk about here today. And one of the things that I'm sure has come up a lot is often when you're working with a raw file, you have scenes where maybe something is too dark or something is too bright and a raw file gives you the latitude to pull detail out of those areas. Pull detail. Pull detail, yeah. So let's say you have a foreground that is really dark. Well, if you just save that as a JPEG, there may not be a whole lot of image data in there in order to lighten that up. But if it's really dark, can't you just make it lighter? If it's really dark, you can make it lighter. But if the data isn't there, then you'll just get a lot of noise and it won't really look that good. And so one of the things that you know, we've talked about before is, is, you know, bringing up shadows and dealing with highlights. And you mentioned, why don't we talk about that specifically and do a how-to episode? Because this is probably one of the most common edits in photos. How do you do it? And I want to immediately jump into some terminology. You're talking about pulling data and and people talk about recovering shadows and highlights as if the data is not there. Um, I'm I'm not really clear on this. And, you know, I'm the guy who doesn't use Lightroom and who does limited editing. It seems to me that the terminology is a little bit strange. All you're doing is increasing and decreasing. You're not recovering something that was lost, right? Right. We're talking about photography terminology. So sometimes it can be a little bit, uh, what's to say, like uh, artistic. Artistic. So before we get started, I want to mention that because we're doing another how-to episode like we did earlier when we were talking about retouching, uh, I'm recording this as a video and we'll either put the entire episode up on my YouTube channel, we'll have a link in the show notes, or selected clips to demonstrate what we're talking about. For those of you who are just listening, we will do our best to describe what's going on, of course. I'm going to start with a photo that I shot in the San Juan Islands. And this image, uh, I'm looking at it in Lightroom on my Mac. This image is uh, a sort of cloudy sky. There's some land uh, to the right. There's like a small island. And this is a, a little coastline bay type area. This image is very, very dark. The land is pretty much entirely in silhouette. And I shot it that way because uh, this was shot at sunset and there was enough light in the sky that if, if I had exposed so that you could see a lot of detail in the land, the sky would have been blown out. And this is the complication that we run into a lot is trying to expose so that the entire image looks good. And just the way camera sensors work, if you shoot too bright, then the sky will get blown out. Okay, before we start looking at your photo, um, let's go into terminology, shadows and highlights. 
shadows, that's the dark part, and highlights are the light part, right? And where does each one begin and end? Generally speaking, yes. When we're talking about editing controls, they have slightly different meanings. So when you're looking at an image and you're looking at a histogram, uh, highlights are going to be the the brightest areas. Shadows are going to be the darkest areas. But shadows, in terms of editing, really applies more to midtones, meaning you want to add more light to the middle of the range, but you don't want to completely get rid of your your darkest pixels. And the easiest way to to show how this works is to think of the exposure slider. When you have an image that's dark, your brain might first go to exposure. Like, okay, this is a dark image. I need to increase the exposure and uh, brighten it up so I can see a lot of the detail that the sensor recorded. However, if you just increase exposure, which I'll do on a sample image here. Oh, that looks terrible. It looks terrible. So let me step back just a second. The image that I'm looking at was very dark in the foreground. And when I've increased the exposure, we see more detail. We see rocks and water, and th there's just a lot of, of good detail that my eye saw when I was there. But the sky is completely useless. I mean, the sky is pretty much entirely white. And if you look at the histogram, all the levels have been pushed way to the right. So exposure is really a, a brute force tool. Quite honestly, when I'm editing, uh, I will rarely touch exposure, or maybe I'll just adjust it in a small way. So what we want to do is we want to bring some detail into the darkest areas. And that's where shadows really helps. So the shadow slider, when I move that up, and I'm going to increase it all the way to 100, so as far right as it will go, we see more light, more detail in that foreground area. So we can see rocks, we can see the, the water, but it's still a dark image. And so what's happened is it hasn't grabbed all of the, the, the black pixels and brought them up lighter. If we look at the histogram, we still have a lot of pixels that are still on, on the left side, the dark side. And the pixels in the middle, representing the midtones, have increased a bit. So this image still looks a bit dark to me. What do you do next? It does. So what I like to do, and I think this is not as usual, I would actually, I'm going to turn off the shadows. What I like to do is start with the whites and the blacks. When I increase the whites, what this is going to do is it's going to bring up just the brightest portions, right? Now that didn't do a whole lot, so you're right. So I'm going to have to bring up the shadows. And when I bring up the shadows, actually in this one, that also makes things brighter, but it's still dark. And now it looks like for this image, I'm going to contradict myself a little because <laughs> I'm going to have to bring up the exposure to bring up that, that foreground. But if you'll notice, what I've done with the exposure, so before when I cranked the exposure, I brought it up to like plus three or plus five. Uh, here, I've increased the exposure by roughly plus one. 
So my my exposure is at plus one. My shadows are almost all the way up to the top, and my whites are at like plus thirty eight, which in this scale is probably uh, you know a, a third of the way from zero. Now, what if you drop the whites just a little bit? Mm-hmm. Because you've got that bit where the sun is; it's a little bit bright. Ah, yes. Well, th- that's a perfect question because now, uh, because I've increased the whites and the exposure and the shadows, the sunset area is, is now a bit overexposed. I can turn on highlight clipping. Most apps have a way to show which pixels have gone completely to white. And in this case, actually, there's just a small little bit that's completely white, which is good. But to my eye, it looks like uh the whole area where the sun is. Yeah, like is, it's like a whole it, band it is, there is too that white. looks like it's really too bright. Exactly. So that's where highlights comes in. So the highlights control can then work on just those bright areas. So if I bring the highlights down, you'll notice that, that the clipping indicator went away. And a clipping indicator, in this case, there's just a little bright red spot uh, Lightroom just makes bright red for the highest uh, white values just so it pops so you see it. And so if I bring the highlights back down. Ooh, now that looks really nice. That brings a lot of detail back to the sky. You get the clouds there, yeah. You get the clouds, you get the the brightness of the sun. I mean, we haven't knocked it out so that you you know think that it's it's gone gray or something. But the highlights have really given more definition and controlled the brightest parts. And if we look at the histogram, you'll see that even though this image as it looks right now is still predominantly dark, the midtones are are much brighter and there's just there's nothing at at the extreme high end. Can you show a before and after now? Yes, I can. So here's here's before. Mm-hmm. Dark, dark, a good promising start. And then Here's after. And all we've done here is we've uh, increased the exposure a bit overall. Uh, We've increased the shadows quite a bit to reveal a lot of that dark detail in the foreground. Um, And then increase the whites. Actually, in this image, whites hasn't done a whole lot. But um, what's what's really made the big difference here is cutting back on on the highlights. Now, what if you increase the blacks just a little bit? Ah, so with the blacks... Just like whites and highlights, this is going to affect the darkest areas of the image. And so if I increase the blacks, so I'm basically making the blacks less black, that is actually going to bring some of that detail back to the front in the foreground that we were missing when exposure was down, but that was revealed when we dramatically increased our exposure. And... Um, just as I have the highlight clipping turned on, I can turn on the shadow clipping, which reveals with blue pixels which areas have been uh, set completely to black. In this case, as I increase the blacks, then we don't have as many pixels that are that are just pure black. And so that has also given us detail because where we wanted more detail, wanted to see uh, more of the foreground, those were the darkest areas. But now reduce the blacks again because you might want that look where the blacks are darker, right? Absolutely. And and th- this is kind of the great thing about whites and blacks. Well, and also shadows. This gives you the control to say, okay, 
I want this to be a moody image. This was a you know a cold, cloudy uh, sunset. This doesn't have a lot of the the drama of like like a rich red sunset, and so this image works better as something that's more moody. And in fact, I think more often than not, it doesn't really apply so much in this image because it was already so dark. But more often than not, I will actually reduce the blacks just to to give a bit more contrast, a little more uh, a little more atmosphere to it. So I think in this case. I want to bring the blacks up just a bit so we can see more of the foreground. Okay, now it's worth it's worth looking at. There's another terminology thing. You're incre- you're bringing the blacks up, but you're not. You're actually adding more light to the blacks. Yes. So I'm increasing the blacks value in this in in Lightroom slider. This turns out to be a fairly good, uh, very quick edit that gives you a sense of the sky and the craggly foreground. And it's now moody, but it is better exposed. I haven't done anything with the color to this. That that can be a completely different conversation since we're just talking about tone here. Now, what's interesting, I'm, I'm looking at the same photo in Apple Photos. Um, Apple Photos has a totally different approach to this. Um, it has exposure. It has highlights and shadows. But it doesn't have whites and blacks. It's got contrast and black point, and it's got brilliance. And by... Messing around with the sliders different ways, I can get something that approaches what you got. It's not quite the same. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously you don't have the same control that you do. Um, So why don't they have the same terminology? Why don't they have the same sliders? That is a very good question. That would have to be a question for Apple because most applications, most editing applications – either have followed the Photoshop example, which is what Lightroom is kind of based on by using those controls. And I think Apple wanted to be different. So for example, the the black slider in Lightroom, there's a black point slider in Photos. Right. And uh, what that does, uh, it, it actually works opposite in terms of user interface. If you want to make it brighter, you would reduce the black point. And what that does in photos, unfortunately, just kind of uh, makes everything a little more gray, which I'm Well, it's not, not exactly that. Of. It's more complicated. It's, it's, it's setting the value of the absolute black, and it's adjusting the entire photo for that. Um, but yes. you said most photo apps have the same kind of sliders. I'm looking at raw power. It's got exposure, highlights, shadows, and something called recovery. Um, then it's got um, enhance, clarity, deepen, lighten, basics, brightness, contrast, saturation, vibrancy. So it's totally different sliders. Would yeah. the deepen and lighten be the same as the whites and the blacks that you're talking about? Possibly. Um, I, I don't have raw power open in front of me. This is kind of the, the thing about photo editing is people can call it whatever they want. Um, so you know, raw power, I think, is generally following the, the Apple uh, lead because it uses Apple's engine for editing photos. I don't know if I can make direct comparisons to to those, but the idea being when you are editing an image like this, you want to find the controls that will either bring up the midtones or shadows and work with the highlights to cut the brightest and the darkest areas of the image. Okay, here's an interesting point of comparison. Um, I did some edits while you were talking in Apple Photos. 
which sort of approximate what you've done. Now, if you go into the um, folder for this episode, I put a screenshot. And if you look at that screenshot, let's compare it to what you have. Okay. Actually, this is quite close. It's quite close. And so you can see on the top section, I messed around with all seven of those sliders. Um, a lot of this is, um, I, I guess, because I'm kind of familiar with editing in Apple Photos. Um, mm -hmm. And I've never really understood exactly what everything does. And I just do it by eye. Um, it, it really does look close. I maybe have, mine's maybe a little bit brighter in that bit where the bright section in the middle yeah. Um, but it is very similar. So if you look at what I did, the highlights down a lot, the shadows up a lot, um, contrast down a lot. Um, and these are all things that – so it's working totally different, but you can get the same results. Yeah. What's key is once you understand how the the darkest and the brightest portions can be manipulated and how to, to – manipulate what's in the middle. Once you determine which sliders act on those, that's when you can go and start messing around. And, you know, I should also point out, as we've been doing this, it's not like I've looked at this and said, ah, you know, I think the shadows need to be around 90, and I think the exposure needs to be around, you know, 0.75. Um, maybe there are some people who, who think of photo editing like that. I jump in and just start throwing sliders. I know that's something that I think we said last time too. Uh, but basically, a lot of this editing is going to be trial and error. Yeah. It, and what's and it also becomes instinctive do, over time. You, you look at a photo, you know, you know pretty much where to start. And from there, you're building on your beginnings, right? Absolutely. And also, you know, what's also perfectly acceptable is, uh, so I, I'm just going to reset my my edits here in Lightroom, um, it's absolutely perfectly acceptable to go and click the auto button, see what the application does. And what that will do is show you the settings that it chose. So in this case, it increased the exposure quite a bit. Um, the highlights are about the same, shadows not as much. But I look at this and I think, well, this looks evenly exposed, but doesn't really give me the mood that I want, in which case then I can go and manipulate the sliders to get the look that I wanted. Okay. I want to just bring up one more thing. And it was last year sometime when Nick Bott of Raw Power was on the show and he was talking about um, tone curves, curves. And I find that mm. doing clicking the auto button in curves in Apple Photos um, is one of the first things I do now with a raw file because that essentially enhances the dynamic range a little bit. Um, what if you did that here? Is there an auto tone curves for Lightroom? There isn't. The auto basically applies to, to everything. Um, and actually what we should do, I'm going to reset the edits here in Lightroom. Curves and sliders tend to be two sides of the same coin. Um, some people learned how to how to edit using curves and they, they think more in terms of, of, of how the curve affects the image. Uh, I basically have been a slider guy all my life, so I don't touch tone curves as much, but what Lightroom will do, uh, it, it actually, the control here is quite nice because as you move your mouse over the, the line, so it start, everything starts as a line in the curve because it's just uh, from darkest to lightest. It 
shows you which areas are going to be your your shadows, your darks, your lights, so that when you do add a point and drag, then you see the effect of that. So um, w what I'm showing here with Lightroom's tone curve is th there's a mode that's basically sort of sort of restricted, sort of controlled um, that that gives you a little more handholding, I guess I'll say. Uh, but if I edit that and I say, okay, I just want to have a traditional point curve, what I could do is just add a point to the the line and then bring that area up to expose, bring it down to uh, to reduce the exposure. And this is definitely an area that I'm I'm not as familiar with. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with it, but I, I don't use curves as much just because I'm I, I've just always used sliders. I think that we should find someone who can explain curves and do an episode about it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, this has gone on really long, but I'd really like you to take <laughs> one more photo and just quickly go through it. Let's take the fourth one there, the one with the sort of sunset. Okay. Quickly. You're sitting down now. You've got your coffee. You've got your music in your headphones. Start throwing sliders. Okay. This image is a red, reddish-pink sunset. Um, there's a barn to the left and some tall poplar trees to the left, and the foreground is very dark, uh, just sort of – scruddy field. So what I want to do is right now it seems a little flat. So what I want to do is bring up some shadows. But the problem with this in terms of, of my composition, when I bring up the shadows and I look at the foreground, it's actually not a very interesting foreground. And so what I liked about this this scene was the sky and and the barn. So if I bring the shadows back down, what I want to do here is I want to reduce my highlights so that I get some more color in the sky. That's the real drama of this photo. And so right now when I only bring down the highlights, you'll notice that everything's getting a little bit darker, but not a whole lot. But the sky is getting deeper and more red, a little more yellow, a little more purple. And all I've done is bring down the highlights. Now, what if you bring down the shadows a little more? I like this sort of silhouette idea that you're – yeah, not – Exactly. Just like there, yeah. yeah. So you can just make out the barn. You can make out the the plants that are growing there against the the horizon. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I would bring up the whites just a little bit to add add like a little more yellow in there. And again, I'm not actually editing the color in this at all. We're just dealing with the light. We're just dealing with the tone. What about the contrast now? Yeah, contrast is kind of interesting because uh, in this case, contrast is nice because this is giving me more definition in the sky, giving me more of a silhouette. And for more that, saturation that in there. the sky, it looks like. More saturation in the sky, too. If I actually, I'm going to turn off contrast for a second. And I'm just going to bring the blacks down, see what that does. Yeah, it's one thing to remember is you can play with these sliders all you want and they don't damage your files. So feel free to move them around and then just hit undo if you don't like what you see. Well, one of the reasons why I like working with whites and blacks is because it gives you contrast without actually having to hit the contrast slider. So exposure and contrast oftentimes work hand in hand as uh, uh, sledgehammers. And so I find just working with whites and blacks gives me the contrast that I want. And then maybe I'll use the contrast slider. 
what we have here after two minutes of, of editing, we've got the silhouette in the foreground and we've got the, the dramatic color in the background. And that's just using the light controls. If I wanted to go into color, I could you know, increase the, the saturation. Um, if I increase the temperature, that makes the sunset even more vibrant, which is actually closer to what I remember it being. I'll show a version of this that I had edited uh, that we don't really have time to fully go into. But one of the things that I liked about this image was there was some light coming off of the barn. So, some of that sunset was being reflected off the barn. And uh, so if I go to that edited version. Oh, that's nice. Is yeah. that the same photo? That's the same photo. Lightroom has has a way that you can save different versions. Right. This is the same photo. But what's different here is I, I've made those edits to the light controls, as we talked about. Um, a bit of exposure, highlights, shadows. But then I also went in and did some selective edits. Okay. So um, like with some, some gradients and... Ah, trickery. Trickery. Yes. That's, that would be another whole yes. episode. What I take away from this is the fact that all these apps are different and they've got different terminology and the sliders don't necessarily affect the same things. Um, but I think it's over time you develop the, the, the reflex to know what the sliders are going to do. And this is probably why if someone tries to switch from one photo editing app to another one, they get very bad results because they're not used to it and things are different. And it's not just – even if the sliders are the same, the tolerances might be different. The way the, the changes are applied to photos might be different. Absolutely. And there are different algorithms. Um, I, I like the way Lightroom handles shadows. Some applications, you increase the shadows and it just makes everything a bit more gray. And so that's just going to depend on how they've decided to implement a lot of those things, which is also one of the reasons why you'll see people talk about, well, I really like editing my photos in uh, On One Photo or Capture One versus Lightroom, even based on the type of camera that you have. So, But I think the takeaway to this is knowing kind of a foundation level of how uh, lights and darks and highlights and shadows work, that gives you a place to start so that regardless of, of the application you're working in, you can look at a photo and you can say, okay, this is dark and I need to bring up the shadows. Or this is slightly overexposed, but not completely overexposed. And I can use the highlights to make some of that detail more visible. Okay, let's move on to our snapshots. Okay, for my snapshot, I have a cookbook. And I know we've talked about uh, having various things uh, that aren't necessarily photo-related, but this is sort of photo and food and everything. So this is called Sea and Smoke, Flavors from the Untamed Pacific Northwest. And this is – it's kind of a weird hybrid type of cookbook. Because, A, it's a cookbook. It has recipes and stuff. But it's really a story about a restaurant. So on Lummi Island, one of the, the 
the islands near here. Uh, there's a place called the Willows Inn. And uh, I've actually stayed there long before it became this big deal. And the chef, Blaine Wetzel, uh, basically turned this into a four-star destination to go to. This cookbook is all about really how they do what they do. Um, the the author is uh, Blaine Wetzel and Joe Ray. And the first half of this cookbook really just talks about how they do what they do. Uh, ba basically, everything is locally sourced, um, really, really top notch. And I found just in terms of reading it, it was like a great story of, of how a small yet uh, top tier restaurant is run. It's a great behind the scenes type of thing. In terms of photography, the photography for it is is very Pacific Northwest. You really get a good sense of what it's like living up here and living on the islands. Then when you get to the actual recipes themselves, well, we've all seen a lot of cookbook type of imagery and everything here is is very close up so the the images are beautiful but it's not like they've they've set this you know this tableau with bits of food scattered on the table around it it's really we're going to show you just the essential ingredients in the middle of a plate the last thing i'll say about this is it's kind of a weird cookbook in that a lot of the stuff that's in here is not actually stuff that most people will be able to make, uh, partially because it's it's like at, at a level above, I think, most cooks. But also it's because did you have your whole pig in a drying closet outside for a year and a half or what, what have you? Step one, kill a pig. Step two, dry it for 18 months. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like, well, you know, as long as you have the, you know, these mushrooms that you can only find in this place. So it's kind of weird, but it's a gorgeous book. And, and I there love is it. a trend in cooking. And I see this. Um, I read The Guardian pretty regularly and they have their cooking columns. And I see this more and more for these obscure ingredients that I've never heard of. And like... Here in the UK, if you live in London or Manchester, Birmingham, maybe you could find them. But I don't want to spend a day looking for ingredients for that sort of, you know, weird, odd spice that only is picked by, you know, seven people in Nepal or something, <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. But it seems like they just try to keep raising the ante to be different, right? All these celebrity cooks, and I'm doing the air quotes there, um, they have yeah. to have something that no one else has done. And... As someone who likes to cook, I, I find that really boring. I mean, today for lunch, I made some brown rice and some tofu with a little bit of tamari sauce, a little bit of umiboshi, and it was perfect. No weird ingredients. Um, and, and I look in a cooking magazine and it's like, you know, you have 17 ingredients for things that maybe there's a quarter of a teaspoon of this and a quarter of a teaspoon of that, so you're not even going to taste it. Or it requires a quarter teaspoon of this, but in order to get that, you need to spend $65 yeah. for an eight-ounce jar yes, of it. So, exactly. And you'll never yeah. use it again. Aren't we curmudgeons? Yes. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> getting back to a different topic, Kirk, what do you have this week? Um, I, I don't know if you read what's commonly called literary fiction very much, but it's not uncommon in this sort of novel to have novels about writers. And I always find it annoying. I think, I mean, there are some good novels about writers, but often it's it shows a lack of 
of imagination to be writing about someone doing your craft, right? Um, and and I'd always wondered why there weren't a lot of movies about photographers because, okay, cinematographers and photographers, they're different, but they're still taking pictures and all that. Um, some months ago, I found on Digital Camera World, this is a British uh, camera magazine website, um, an interesting article, 25 Best Movies About Real Photographers. And some of these are fiction and some of these are documentary. Um, some of them are biopics. For example, The Killing Fields, everyone knows that. There is a photographer there. Um, Photographing Fairies, this is about Arthur Conan Doyle, and he believed in fairies, so he tried to take pictures. Or a, a very strange film that I saw last year, Fur, an imaginary portrait of Diane Arbus. And so this has Nicole Kidman and it's about Diane Arbus, but it's not true. It's like someone imagined what maybe she might have done. It's got um, Robert Downey Jr. is this really weird person who lives either upstairs or downstairs. It's a strange movie. Um, but huh. this is full of interesting movies. If you want to see something about a photographer, why not? Um, documentaries. Is one about Helmut Newton, not my favorite type of photography, but, you know, I find it interesting sometimes to hear photographers talk about it. Um, there's one here about Richard Avedon, um, Robert Kappa, Alfred Stieglitz, William Eggleston. Um, William Eggleston in the real world. I saw this and it's very interesting. Um, I've mentioned William Eggleston quite a lot. Um, here's one about Annie Leibovitz. So, if you want to see some stuff about photographers, whether fiction or nonfiction, this is an interesting list. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.